everyone. Welcome into a podcast that might not have a set release schedule, but is still your favorite. That's right. The Carpet Chat is back. We already revived the Tuesday Club. We've done our duty to the Arsenal podcasting universe, but we're going to try to continue creating podcast content as well. As always, I'm your host, FFG. Joining me with a man who does his best work in the busy festive season, it's Nomics. Great to be back, and much like Eddie and Kedia, you don't know when we're going to perform, but we're here now, and hopefully we can uh, bang in some goals or give some assists. Uh, I was going to do maybe more of an Urzl comp, you know, some of the big games show up, and uh, suddenly we've got a little back pain, we've got the flu, etc., but uh, I think an Eddie comp is always relevant. Uh, We've got a lot to cover, but we also have some unique opportunities here. So on the one hand, three games to cover are Champions League dead rubber fixture against PSV, the troubling 0-1 loss to Aston Villa, and the dominant 2-0 win against Brighton. But we're also in a unique spot here on the Carpet Chat, where we tend to record, you know, 8 to 10 hours before the next Arsenal game, for reasons beyond anyone's understanding. We actually have a few days before Arsenal take on Liverpool, in what many are calling the biggest match of the season, Arsenal head to Anfield. Uh, We also could do a little Champions League preview. We know Porto is who Arsenal have drawn, but those games aren't for months. I think we'll probably table that until we uh, run out of things to talk about. Before we get into the things we always talk about, Nomics, the usual format, let's do the usual opener. Personal footy news. Again, as a, as the resident villa head, everybody knows where my head's at, and it is in the clouds. But what do you have to uh, say for yourself around the Premier League table, world footy, etc.? You know, it's not really, hasn't been the greatest week to dunk on other teams that, you know, like dunking on United can only, get, can only be so much fun. But they actually got a okay result this past weekend against Liverpool. I guess... We are both kind of low on Newcastle um, earlier in the season, and uh, we were we would say it's because their their squad's thin. They kind of are there too many competitions. Um, we don't think their football is actually good at all. They don't really do anything away from home, and you know it, everything we said is is appearing to be true. Um, and this is coming off uh, them losing to Chelsea uh, in the in the League Cup. It's, it's just a it's been a bad bad time for them and you know it, it couldn't happen to a worse people worse person worse club um and we hope it continues forever and i think even doubling down on newcastle takes uh i never really did any actual anthony gordon apologia but there was a really funny picture of him wearing a really stupid outfit that when he got his big money move to newcastle i always used to share and go no actually anthony gordon rules so I think we'll count that as me backing the Gordon transfer, which is kind of the only good thing Newcastle have going these days. Uh, yeah, we, we really just hit it dead on. We were too much believers in Man City, maybe, although I could have told you Rodri was one of the most important players in the world, and it's been his absences that have, have caused their issues. But uh, uh, it really guess, is just the carpet chat but, and then everyone else. Right. But I think I, now that you mentioned City, I forgot. I believe earlier in the year I said that City was going to have a massive fall off. I, I said that in preseason it didn't look that good. Their their squad's much thinner. The players they let go without bringing in replacements aren't great. They're good signing, sure. But it, when you compare to the players that left, um, there was some serious concern that there was going to be a massive drop-off. Uh, we got a little bit of luck with KDB getting injured. But I still like here's a here's a here's my prediction for KDB's return, which is apparently imminent. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be right right around New Year's, a little bit after that. He will get injured again. He 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 will get injured again. He is he is cooked. He's played too many games over the last what five to eight years of his career. He's just playing pretty much every game possible. Um, uh, he's he's 31 years old, 32 years old. He I think he's up there. Uh, he looks like he gained a little bit of weight. Looks like he doesn't care too much about how he looks. Uh, I think he's gonna have a major injury or at least a moderate injury. Uh, and it's I, I just think it's not looking good for City. Not not counting them out by any means because Pep Guardiola is a genius. But I I do think that dynasty for at least this season has run its course, and they just you know similar to Liverpool after competing in every tournament, every competition until final day, and they fell off the next year. I think City might see a similar fall, but not as heavy. I just. Overall, I think the the season, the point total to win the league is going to be lower than usual or lower than recently. Uh, but I don't think City's going to be as close to the top or run away with it as people think they will. Uh, and we know there are two things. You should never bet against Pep Guardiola 
but you should also never bet against the big money Guardiola transfers looking like flops in year one. So Guardiola was always going to suck this year, and their defense is really suffering that. Uh, it's tough. It's a rigorous schedule. And you're right, Kevin De Bruyne, he's, he's over 30. He's vaguely 30. This is a podcast of vaguely 30 individuals. It's the festive season, a lot of Premier League fixtures, a lot of work at the end of the year. And, you know, this is an audio medium, but I can tell you, Nomics, he's looking a little pudgy in the face these days. My skin is breaking out everywhere from the work stress, all the dairy. It's tough out here when you're vaguely 30. We have a lot of sympathy for Kevin De Bruyne, but uh, I wouldn't dress myself to play midfield for Man City either. I can tell you that much. Yeah, and, you know, I, I took two and a half years, three years off from playing football, and I am a shell of myself. And, you know, you can't underestimate taking, how long is he out for? Five months? Five, four or five months? Well, he came back for, like, three games, if you remember. Yes, he came back he, for one yeah. game, actually, and immediately re-injured himself. Yeah, so, so right. I, I think that, I think especially at that age, you need to keep playing at least consistently. It's kind of the reason why you see Arteta and Dead Rubber Games putting in players for 10, 15 minutes that you want them to rest is because that form goes away so quickly that you're at the top of your top of your game. And it takes it takes a little bit of time to get it back if you're out for a while. So even if you say he, KVDB does come back and he stays healthy throughout the year, you won't see the same KDB for, I'd assume, a few weeks to a couple months. And there we have it. Personal footy news, even you know, personal uh, state of being vaguely 30 news. We're, we're with you, KDB. We're all washed together. And uh, thank God the Arsenal are, are younger than we are. May they never buy another player my age ever, ever again. It would be foolish. Uh, except for you, Jorginho. You rule. On to the usual format. Again, we got three games to cover. The loss against Villa, the Champions League dead rubber against PSV, and perhaps the best performance of the year, but we'll get into that. 2 nothing against Brighton. Not like we're doing this live. I know the past few weeks when we've had multiple games, we've done them all as one segment. Do you have any interest in a breakout of the Villa game before the Brighton game, or you see these kind of as two two sides of one coin, and we'll just cover it together? I think we should cover just vaguely the Villa game. I know we everyone's kind of exhausted about the conversation with it and what happened. I think we all have similar similar views on it, and we can get a deeper breakdown into the the Brighton game. I guess my overall feeling from the the Villa game is that we dominated them. We played well. Another game where we absolutely played sensational. Uh, I I do think that I'm sure everyone knows finishing is an is an issue or at the during that game it was an issue. But I was not worried. I'm not panicking. Um, we could talk about the the effects of the Villa game into the Brighton game later on. But um, overall, I was very happy with the res, with the with the performance. I do think we were robbed of two goals. I think that was definitely a penalty shot. That few hours earlier was definitely a penalty. You know, I would love it if the PGMOL would just come out and either say, A, the go- the the penalty in the Liverpool game was not a penalty. It was a mistake. And, you know, I feel a little bit better. The penalty wasn't that's a, a penalty on Jesus in the same night. Or B, just come out and say that they missed the call. It's one or the other. It can't be, it can't be that that first one's a pen, the second one isn't a pen. But I'm exhausted about talking about that penalties. But then we'll talk about the Havertz goal, um, which should have stood. There's a handball. Which should be on, counting on it, the Kai Havertz goals plus assist per 90. It should, yeah, we're it considering should. bringing it in. Absolutely, it should. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's disappointing that referees so often use VAR as a, as a crutch. And, you know, it's understandable when they use VAR as a crutch in terms of not calling something because if if something is clear and obvious on review it kind of makes more sense to let it let them find a clear and obvious mistake on a review rather than make a call on the field and try to find a clear and obvious reason to not give uh or to overturn the foul i think if something is clear and obvious that you missed then not calling it on the field kind of and calling it during var seems a little more justified it seems more justified because when you miss a call and if it's clear and obvious, it's clearly not like so such a small incident that you know it, it, it you know it, it you'll get debate either way. I think if you're actually using the clear and obvious threshold, then it makes more sense to let that go for, to review to VAR and to overturn it. But you're telling me this referee uh, saw Havertz handle the ball with his laser eyes perfectly. He was so close. We we're able to call it call it immediately with no hesitation immediately no hesitation at all but even on replay we can't really see what exactly is the was it a handball if it was a handball who was it on did it did uh did it did it touch uh, i forget who the defender was at the time did it touch his arm 
Maddie Cash first and, and then Havertz. Even on replay, it was something you can't tell. But you're telling me on the field, you can tell that it was a clear handball to disallow a goal in a crucial moment when Arsenal deserved a goal. I'm not saying you allow goals because teams deserve it. But it's not like we had one lucky opportunity. We were, we were all over them. It just... And then you fast forward to yesterday, this, this the Newcastle-Chelsea game. The same referee is missing blatant red card tackles that literally anybody can see. This, that same referee that has laser eyes one day can't see a, a blatant red card another day. But just like the, Kai Havertz having the minerals to stand up to Emi Martinez, it was, of course, Mihailo Mudrik yeah. standing up for his, his It's something in that Arsenal in that DNA, you know? Those yeah. Arsenal fans at heart really have they have the, they have the minerals. But, you know, it, it just it shows that the issue and we repeat this before on the podcast and I'm sure others have. It's not with VAR. It's with these officials. They're poorly trained. They are they either haven't played the sport before or don't watch the sport enough to know what what incidences are footballing plays, what incidences are 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 blatant fouls, what incidences you should let go and kind of use VAR as a crutch. It. I think the the Villa game was the first time I've seen a referee make a decision on the field that was so like it, it, it was so ambiguous that that they made the decision quickly. On the, I haven't seen that in years. I haven't seen that since since pre VAR because usually they let that go to VAR and they should have let it go to VAR. But you know it it, it is what it is. Villa scored a, a fine goal, I guess. I mean we have we can maybe talk talk about uh, the X blame later. But uh, I'm not I'm not upset with the performance i'm a little upset with the result we should have won that game i think we should have won that game and that's it's not because of the referee only saka missed an op- uh, sitter in the beginning uh jesus missed a couple chances um i, I forget it. We missed odegaard, a couple headers. Really odegaard missed two or three boots, yeah yeah where he finishes all the time so it wasn't just because the referee but you know th- those moments really hurt but i'm glad i'm happy with the way we played i'm, I'm happy our fan base didn't overreact to it yeah, this is this is why Kai doesn't pass the ball is because when he does set up these easy opportunities for guys on the right, they can't finish it. Um, you know, you may be wondering, hey, well, everyone has given their thoughts on this Villa refereeing situation, but we just know whenever you listen to this episode of the Carpet Chat, there will be another refereeing scandal going on. So we just have to put our thoughts out there um, because all referees are bastards, as we know. Um, my, my quick thoughts on, on the Villa refereeing, um, the, the Jesus penalty and no call was obviously scandalous, but on the Kai handball, um, first of all, uh, we all know that incidental handballs from defenders are not penalties, um, except when it's William Saliba against Chelsea, of course, in which case it does not matter. Uh, and second of all, that ball did not hit Kai's hand. It hit his massive penis, um, that is what it hit. There's no evidence to the contrary. And that's what I'm going to choose to believe. Um, that being said, I think that is actually our most erotic Kai Havertz comment of the season, which uh, is a mountain I didn't think we'd be able to climb. And with that, I think we move on to our usual format. Clickbait headlines. I think we've kind of tabled the Villa conversation. So Nomics, I'm expecting this to cover the performance of the year. Arsenal 2, uh, Brighton and Ovalby on the frauds. Robert Defrati zero. What is your clickbait headline? It's uh, Arteta wins audition for City job. Uh, the, you know, everybody, all the City fans are are planning with for life without Pep. I mean, you know, he's rumored to be leaving, and all them they they seem to want uh, Roberto Zerbi. And you know, at the at the end of the day, who they really want is Arteta. That's who they would love to replace Pep with. And Arteta showed that at the end of the day, you can have, you can big brain as much as you want. You can be, you can talk shit about the referees as much as you want. You're not going to be him. He, Arteta is him. He is the authentic one. He's the original. He is the one and only. Deserby is just, you know, I, I was very, I'm very high on Deserby. Let me just throw that out there. But this season's kind of throwing a little bit of fraud out there. You know, he, he, he has trying to make excuses with injuries, stuff like that. But he seemed a little fraudy. I was very, I was very disappointed in how uh, Brighton played in terms of I expected them to play better. Not that I, ex- I wanted them to win. Uh, I, I just think Arteta is developing as a manager at a rate that we kind of take for granted. Uh, something that I don't think the Zerbi is right now. And I think it's, it's it comes with responsibility. It comes with pressure. Um, they, you know, they say diamonds are made under pressure. And I think Arteta is really thriving under that pressure right now. Uh, and let's just, I don't think city's going to, he's not going to ever move to city, but it, it's, it's just, it's just funny seeing city fans wanting to serve so badly, 
But every time, well, I guess not every time. Most recently, it just looks like Arteta is the one that's really the manager, the next, uh, the throne to the Pep Guardiola big brain school uh, school of football. And it's great to see. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think Mikel Arteta is really the protagonist of professional football. I think uh, all fans, even even rival fans, would probably agree with that. Um, they They certainly wouldn't, but that's okay. We don't care. Uh, and I think that does set up the the option you're not presenting, which is the real next Man City manager is Zabi Alonso, Arteta's childhood best friend, coming in from his, his invincible Leverkusen side, uh, handing the reins to player manager Granit Xhaka and showing up to uh, to rival his best friend, Mikel Arteta. I think it's the only thing that makes sense. Uh, you know, I, I certainly like calling Deserbi defraudy. Um, I don't really believe it. I just think it's fun. Uh, I think he's closer to uh, an Ainge, a big Ainge Pastacoglu, than he is to an Arteta or a Jurgen Klopp or a Pep Guardiola. Um, I think both in terms of philosophy and in terms of quality. Uh, but I think big Ainge is a pretty decent coach as well, mate, as he would say. And uh, I, I think these are solid coaches, able to challenge for European positions. I think it's impressive that Brighton are doing exactly that, but certainly not to the level of Super Mick Arteta and his tricky Reds. Uh, or Sean Dyche, the other best coach in the country and perhaps the world. Uh, my clickbait headline on this one is, uh, it sure is nice when you finish a couple. I think the differences between the Villa performance and this Brighton performance are fairly minuscule. Uh, I think this Kai Havertz performance was one of his weakest since the Newcastle game, since his resurgence began. Um, I think we're disqualifying ourselves from a Kai Chubb of the week for the record, but a lot of the Kai talk we've already done. But in both situations, it is amazing what happens when you just put the ball in the back of the net. You don't have to create chances. You don't have to outplay your opponent. You just need to score. Obviously, Arsenal create tons of chances, and obviously, Arsenal dramatically outplayed Brighton. But it is so funny how games can go from uh, disappointing, underwhelming, sterile control, sterile dominance, when you're one nothing up and Pascal Gross is seemingly one-on-one with the goalkeeper to a sure-handed victory and the best performance of the season when you've buried away the uh, the insurance goal and made it 2 nothing with a few minutes to spare. Yeah, and I think it's been coming. I mean, our, our attack has been getting progressively better as season's gone on, primarily because you're replacing Gabriel Jesus, Eddie and Kedia, or Eddie and Kedia with Gab- Gabriel Jesus. Um, it, it, it was a slow beginning for Jesus. He was kind of looking a little bit bigger, a little bit slower, but I think now as he's... Like I said, like the KDB thing we're talking about, it takes a little bit of time for these players to get back into form. Like it, it, it people expect it to be one, two weeks. It takes up like a month for them to get back kicking back, back into form. And Jesus has been making those runs better. Saka and Martinelli are kind of heating up a little bit. I know I want to touch on Martinelli specifically later on, but uh, Saka has been, been, you know, even, even without as much responsibility as he had before Jesus uh, came back, he has been doing well. Kai Kai also playing much better with with Jesus. Um, Odegaard seem at practically unplayable uh, against Brighton. Such a good player. He was, it was a near perfect performance. In fact, it's a criminal how he hasn't gotten a goal and assist that match. It was it was honestly one of the best performances I've ever seen by an Arsenal player in a very 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 long time. It was that good. Uh, but yeah, I I think it's it's Jesus. It's and, and I think that is a reason why we are looking at another striker because we know that when Jesus when Jesus is out, the drop off is way too big, way 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 too big. The, Eddie is not is not going to fit the system we need. Eddie playing Eddie hurts Havertz. Playing Eddie hurts uh, Martinelli. Uh, to some extent, it hurts Odegaard and Saka, but it's mostly just Havertz and uh, Martinelli specifically. But overall, the attack, the pressing isn't there without Jesus. Uh, the one-two passing, Jesus drops back so much. He plays that uh, how how we like to joke about the 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 false nine true eights, like of box to box midfield destroyer. Like it's he's that role, and it's 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 amazing. And I, I'm it, it it looks so much better when the ball is going in the net. We get so obsessed with goals, though. I think to some extent, the first half was beautiful for us it was so good but you saw the twitter you saw on discord you heard the comments people were panicking like oh brighton's gonna score we're gonna we're fucked we should have finished our chance all this stuff at the relax when you're seeing something that good you have to relax and as our title likes to say trust the process it's gonna we're gonna get a goal we're way too good not to get a goal um and i think it kind of 
it's kind of because of PTSD from Villa, right? Like Villa, we played so well, didn't score, end up losing the game. But, you know, so we have to be less goal dependent in terms of how we view performances and how we view how good we are because we are so good and we are getting better every single week and now if we can get the goals to go in which i think it we have been having goals going with the exception of villa we're going to be very 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 difficult to beat or even get a draw out of yeah i almost jumped in there you were you're stepping on my toes for my chub of the week a little bit so i will be going first in the chub of the week section just to prevent you from truly running wild over me on that one you're right, though. It, it seems stupid to say, you know, I, I've always taken the contrary. I've always taken the goals are underrated approach, which I think is actually a, a Yankee gunner quote. So uh, apologies to the audience and, and credit to, to Elliot Smith. Um, I've always taken the goals are underrated in terms of evaluating players, uh, evaluating how good teams are, things of that nature. But I think when you're looking at an individual performance, it is so easy to get caught up in what can often just be a couple bounces of the ball, a little bit of variance, a little lucky bounce here, a little uh, ball under the keeper's arm there. When it comes to evaluating performances and kind of the quality of a team that you know well, yeah, maybe goals aren't underrated. Maybe goals are a little overrated and you have to pay attention to what we're actually doing and how we're playing. And uh, how we're playing is like the best team in the world. Um, yeah, there are some concerns in that the perhaps second and third best teams in the world have Erling Holland and Harry Kane at the top of them, who are guys who can create goals out of nothing. So uh, come the Premier League title race, come Champions League knockout stages, we need to maybe have a little bit of distance between us and some of these other teams. Um, Mo Salah as well, another guy who can kind of just bang out of nothing. Um, and it would be nice to have a guy who could bang out of nothing, but I think you're right. We may get over-focused on, on goals in place of analysis when, uh, yeah, you should be able to just watch the team and tell, uh, because we've been something really special this year. And I think it's and pretty I, obvious I, I, if you pay attention. Yeah. And I, and I think it's important to remember that you can be the best team in the world, but not have the best attack in the world. I mean, it's very, it's one of those things that people overrate attacking uh prowess right because liverpool have a great very good attack i would uh i think it's a little overrated but in terms of what people say they say they have a better attack than arsenal let's 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 play that for a second sure whatever if you're having one game you had to win i think the way arsenal plays is much more sustainable and what you'd want rather than the way liverpool plays if you're playing uh, a, a championship game tomorrow against one of the best teams in the world uh you just and, and then going back to looking at performances rather than obsessing over goals it's similar to when the team is rebuilding i think that's the biggest the best way to determine like a team can be rebuilding and not scoring but you see the foundation of what they're building and they eventually build that foundation usually from back to front and the goals come last i think people expect the goals to come first um and you know there's teams that score a shit ton of goals and end up being shit everywhere else on the pitch. But in the beginning of an era, they, they score a lot of goals. People are like, oh, they're, they're just wait till they improve the defense. Just wait till they improve the defense. It's harder to improve the defense in midfield and, and have control than it is to develop an attack, in my opinion. Um, I think once if you can if you can develop the safety net behind the attack, it gives the attack a lot more uh, a lot more freedom, a lot more um, you know a lot more encouragement to try something different to try to make a goal to try to score a goal you know maybe do some unique plays because they know the safety net behind them is strong uh, and I think that's something that we really built on the last few years and I think it's somewhere that we saw last season when the when our defense was poor it, it doesn't matter how many goals we scored we scored we keep we we're still scoring goals we were losing and drawing matches we should have never drew so I think that's something that Arteta is focusing on not happening again this season definitely and uh, we will get into the idea that the Liverpool attack is better than the Arsenal attack in a later segment when we will preview the Liverpool game uh, because surely it, it surely is not on to Chubb of the week as I've teased I am going first on this one because I must claim my guy it is the unanimous 2022-2023 carpet chat Arsenal player of the season award winner it is the captain Martin Udegaard because he is playing so well, he deserves me attempting to pronounce his name right. Uh, Captain Odie, as I prefer to call him, Martin Odegaard, uh, spectacular the past several weeks, and in ways that you know I love, in ways that you know I've been calling for, and in ways that I have highlighted on this show previously. He's dropping deeper. He's getting on the ball earlier. That's giving him opportunities to make initial passes, pick up hockey assists, carry the ball a bit and altogether find more spaces by making little movement off the ball instead of being a guy 
in a you know Mesoderzel or even Kai Havertz type role, sitting without the ball, trying to get in space. Martin Odegaard should not be worrying about finding space without the ball because Martin Odegaard should always be on the ball. He should be on the ball as much as physically possible. I've called him more Modric than Mesut. That's what I kind of settled on as my turn of phrase for him. We don't need to debate the validity of that, but I love the way he's playing. I love the positions he's getting into, and I think everyone can really love the quality he's showing right now. Uh, He is back on form with his player of the season form from last year. 15 goals probably aren't coming again, but uh, the play is of that caliber, if not even higher. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I can't, I echo everything you say. He was, he was so good. Um, it's, which, you know, we can put a little asterisk on that as well, right? Because for the second match in a row, he's missed, or league match in a row, he missed opportunities he should have scored. He should have scored two against Villa. He should have scored two against Brighton. And there's a similar situation. So I'm a little bit concerned. I was watching the training video on YouTube uh, before the Brighton game, and he was, uh, he, he did score in some of the shooting drills, but it was more that he was shooting right at the keeper. And our, and for some reason, our, our training ground creepers are very shit. Uh, and I was, and I was thinking to myself, you know, what? it'd be, I feel a lot more confident if you smashing these bottom corner away from the the goalkeeper. Let's hope it doesn't it doesn't like. That happened against Villa. He was shooting, either missing the net or hitting it red at Emmy Martinez. Uh, I was saying to myself, I hope that he'll figure it out that against Brighton, he needs to fucking find a corner. And he still is not finding that corner. He's just, he just can't find that corner. To be fair, I think uh, Brighton's goalkeeper made an absurd save on one of them. If, if he's the one who took that shot with the right, his right hand, absolutely crazy. I think, I, I think hasn't been spoken about enough. That save is ridiculous. Like that, that was one of the best saves I've seen in a very, very long time from close range. The reactions with a strong hand. So honestly, that would that should that would have gone in with any other goalkeeper in the league. Honestly, even like an Allison, because that's a, that's a that's a once in the that's a great save. That's a crazy save. So yeah, Odegaard. Very well, 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 sir, for Chubb of the Week. It, not not just for the for the uh, the Brighton game, but he was also very good against Villa. Just the goals didn't come off. Yeah, the Villa game, he left his shooting boots at home. The Brighton game, he shot well enough to score a couple. Just right. Uh, their their keeper, who is not Jason Steele, the other one, uh, and and Dunk were just saving everything, right, blocking everything with every body part they had. Some of which Dunk may no longer have. We, who knows? Who knows? Um, our thoughts are with him, though, certainly, uh, and his potential for future offspring. Namix, who is your Chubb of the Week? I'm going to keep harping on it because, you know, people are giving a lot of shit. It's Gabriel Martinelli, and I, it's Gabriel Martinelli for me because he gets so much shit for trying to do something and trying to produce goals and trying to, you know, he, he's working extra hard on that wing. FFG, I see the face you're making, but just He, he doesn't out. get shit for trying to produce goals. He gets shit for failing to produce it's, goals. Okay, and this is, people have to remember that it's a process. It's it's a process. Similar to looking, analyzing a team and how well they do and you can't, you can't be dependent on how, how many goals they're scoring. He is playing a lot better than he played last season for us but with worse end product or in turn or less finishing he's cutting in more he's playing interior more he's he's isolated more one-on-one than he was last season and he's beating players more easily than he did last season uh some of the balls in the box no one's there when he's playing it in good positions his corners in the first half weren't great i'm not gonna hide about that but then the second half he had great corners it was pretty much every single time he took a corner it was it was challenging the goalkeeper uh and it was causing the mayhem uh the the shooting has to get better, but he's not shooting as much as he did before because he's more he's on an island more than usual. I think that's going to come with him be uh, playing with Havertz more uh, in the attacking ha- or attacking third this season compared to last season. Shaka was further back and not as not as per- forward as Havertz is. So when especially when Havertz moves forward, he's bringing an extra defender, right? So one v one is a little bit harder when you have to beat that player, and then you have another player that was defending essentially Havertz's space behind you. So it's hard to get shots off. Uh, but I, I think it once he gets that goal, it's gonna, the the rest are going to flow in. I'm I'm very happy the way he's playing. I think I know it's it's a hot take because people obsess over goals and assists. People obsess about him not having the best crosses when he's beating his defenders. But you have to look you have to look between the lines there, and you have to see how are we setting up. How is it different than last season? Why is it why is it not coming off for him? But what is coming off for him? And if you look if you evaluate the game that way, if you just focus on just him. 
for a game or two, you're going to see how much this guy has improved and how much he's just missing the goal threat. And once that, once the goals and shooting come back to him, it's, 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 it's going to be, it's going to be a bad time for the defenders and, uh, and other opponents. Yeah, I, I certainly don't mean to slander Gabby Martinelli for this week. What was I considering him for my slander center? Who knows? Time will tell, uh, and it will no longer tell now, certainly. Um, I was just a little skeptical of your praise for him, and you know, maybe it was just praise in reaction to some of the critique around him. I, I do agree that some of what he's asked to do is very unglamorous. He has a, a dirty job at times, but I do think we also need some more ad product. He, he is getting in good positions to score. I guess he's proving that the job is not too dirty for him uh, or that he is the right man for the dirty job, perhaps. Uh, but he's just not putting things away right now. I almost, I, I'm less critical of his cross quality and more critical of his reluctance to shoot and his shooting when he does shoot currently. Uh, I think he's sitting on the ball a little too much. He's waiting to beat his defender a second time when, hey, it's time to just fire a snapshot in, Gabby. Um, but we'll see. Um, and also, of course, no one's there to, to head his crosses home. He plays on the same side as Havertz. That's really the issue is Kai Havertz can only be on one side at a time. Uh, we need to clone Kai Havertz, I think, is the, the clear solution here. Yeah, people gave him shit for that miss he had when Saka cut it back to him, but that's extremely difficult finish. Uh, you know, ball coming at pace, uh, defender closing in quickly, ball slightly behind him. It, obviously, when you're looking at, when you're watching on TV, it looks like he has time to just bury that in, but that's those are like inches of space he had, and it, finishing that would have been extremely impressive. I personally would have liked to see Saka shoot in that situation rather than pass it back, especially with that ball from Odegaard that deserved an assist. But I, I think people are very easy to pick on Gabriel Martinelli. Um, I don't, I don't really understand why. Uh, I, I think there's some there's some some type of bias there, which I'm still trying to figure out. But I don't know. I, I honestly can't put my finger on it. I just think that that kid with no expectation has improved so much. And every year he's played, he's improved. It's the first year he's maybe statistically hasn't improved that much. But I think I think we have to be patient with him, and it'll come. And we just know the last two seasons have been like inches away from being Gabby Martinelli's coming out party against Liverpool at Anfield. The man is waiting to have his career best game, his his big uh, national international awakening against Liverpool. We all know it'll happen. Klopp knows it'll happen. He's terrified. And uh, who knows? This this might be a good predictive chub of the week. That's what I'm suggesting. Uh, let's wrap up our typical format with the segment people tune in for. It's what people know and love, so we hide it right in the middle so it's hard to seek to, and you have to listen to the whole episode to find it. Slander Centernomics. Uh, a lot of discourse to slander, you know, managers, PGMOL, um, Arsenal players. It's I've been, I had a really hard time finding a Slander Center for this one. Um, you know, I'm going to go with uh, the reserve defenders, so in ter- like Kivior, uh, asterisks around Ben White, but Ben White, um, you know, if you're coming in to fill in the spot for someone, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm calling you out. It has to be better. It honestly has to be better. Um, even in the Brighton game, we subbed out some defenders and we brought them in, hopefully for more stability. And that we got no stability. We didn't get any stability from them. That Brighton got their best chance. That Brighton should have scored um, on on opportunity. And I don't know what it was with Ben White. We joke about how the peroxide seeping into his brain. You did, you made that joke, which was a good one. I think there's something. I think there's something wrong with Ben White. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm not ready to say he sucks or anything like that or give up on him, but like he had time off, whatever reason he had those few games off. I, I thought it was a fatigue thing, right? But he's playing and looks even more fatigued. And I hope he's okay mentally and physically because it's at that point where I think it's something that's mental or something that isn't, isn't being told to us that he can play through, but um, I'm concerned and I'm even more concerned about Kivior. I'm, 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 I'm not, I haven't hit the panic button yet, but he's given me Mavropanos vibes where we bought him for with a little bit of hype on him, a little unknown name, but then you watch some things. Oh, he's, he's pretty good. And he, Mavropanos obviously is, is, is not as good as him, but in terms of that, that you know, we we thought we had a bargain when we signed him after we saw those videos after he played and made a few appearances. But you know, he's he. I don't know. Maybe it's playing left back. Um, maybe that that's it. He's not a left back. He's a left center back or a left center back of a of a back three. Perhaps that's it. 
But, you know, we have a couple injuries that are really big in the back line right now. And when you're called upon to play left back, you have to step up and you have to you have to do a job. And he's been I'm not even average. He's been kind of bad. He's been a bad, bad player. He's not really helping us in any way. Um, he's young, obviously. He looks a little bit timid on the field. All that considerations into play. But it's not surprising that we're linked with defenders um, in the transfer market this upcoming window. And actually just two weeks from now, a week and a half from now. Um, it's not surprising when you look at how key viewers performing, how Ben White is looking out there uh, and, and, and considering what happened end of the last season for us. Yeah, I think that's probably the most sensible shout of the group. Um, the Ben White thing's interesting. I'm going to give here. This is we're tapping into some of our crossover appeal because I know we're trying to raise money for our million dollar Patreon. So I'm going to try to provide some value that Dr. Raj, I think, provides in his uh, $10 million Patreon, his, his radically expensive Patreon. My theory for a couple seasons now. Ben White playing right back reminds me of mixed martial arts fighters. I imagine boxers are like this. I think he cuts too skinny to play right back. I think he needs, I think he loses a lot of weight playing fullback and to play fullback to try to be as mobile as possible. And I think it wears him down over time. I think we need a plumper, slower Ben White that is built more like a center back and can play steadier. Just quickly, before he had when he had his blonde hair and before he did seem slimmer, and I think he since he come back, he looks a little bit bulkier to me. I don't know if it's just me or not, but I, that's why I'm like he doesn't look healthy. And I, I, I think you're maybe right. this is this good though. Maybe he's on the road back, right? Maybe he's, maybe, he's eating the extra and, and cheeseburger now. You know? I think you're right because when the season started and when it progressed, he was looking skinnier and skinnier. Kind of like uh, I had an ex girlfriend who had some mental issues. Who she, you know, she would do some things after she ate. Uh, it, it, it similar facial structure where the face becomes bony and like the it's the neck too gets really skinny. And that's what I saw from Ben White. And I'm like, does he is he going through something? And I and I, I just want to know. We always seem don't know what happened with him in the England camp, but ever since that, I've been a little bit more you know eyeing what's going on exactly in his life. He's very private. He got married not that long ago, but he's very he's a for a guy who looks like he loves attention, he's very private. Um I think there may be something there. I I don't know if there's any mental health issue or something, but like I said, I, I hope it's not. I hope he's maybe we're just we're just overthinking it and he's just have he's bad run of form, which happens with players. Uh but I think you're right. I think he the, the, this season he looked very skinny to me and it was kind of concerning. Again, last season, he again, he started at center back weight and he kind of had to lose it over the season and they started wearing down. This season, he knew it coming in. That's yeah. That's my completely un, unjustified, inexplicable, and probably irresponsible to speculate on theory. Um, I am at, we'll, we'll be issuing the, the second or third carpet chat apology of history for this one, but uh, not yet. Not yet. One called upon, certainly. Uh, you know, my slander center is funny. You named the backup defenders. I, I almost named Zinchenko as my slander center, not really for his play, but for the amount that we worry about him and the amount that we want Tomiyasu back, that we're praying for a Urian Timber miracle recovery. Uh, I, I think that was almost slander worthy of Alex Zinchenko. But I don't want to do that because I don't think Zinchenko was massively at fault. We'll get into X-Blame for the John McGinn goal from Aston Villa, and I'm sure Zinchenko will shoulder at least some X-Blame. But I don't think he was massively at fault. That's left me in a bit of a tricky position. So, you know, I'm going to do what I tend to do and turn my slander inward. Uh, and not at myself, but at other members of this podcast. And I'm going to slander those who suggested that Moises Caicedo was a viable alternative to Declan Rice. Uh, we did not do any Declan Rice praise in our Chub of the Week, despite his transcendent performances in recent weeks. Um, again, he's a guy, much like the Havertz goal and how much goals change narratives, Declan Rice's game winner against Luton Town covered up his worst performance in an Arsenal shirt in the last month. He buried that very happily with his game-winning goal and uh, has gone back to his outrageous level previously. Declan Rice is already the best defensive midfielder in the world. Uh, I think he's better than Rodri. I think Rodri's hitting availability questions that make it not even a contest. But Declan Rice is more than that. Declan Rice is a superhero type of player who wants to cover the entire pitch, wants to make plays on both ends. 
And while Moises Caicedo, I said it, Namik says he said it as well, and I do trust him, I believe him, I'm sure could do a tremendous job as like an inverting right back for Arsenal. He could not be that all-action superhero that Declan Rice is. I don't think anybody could. I think there are very few players in world football who have that quality to them, and most of them are more in like the Yaya Torre mold where they're eights because they're too out of position trying to do heroic things to play six. So I think Declan Rice is one of one, and I think that means my slander is directed at this summer's Moises Caicedo apologists. Yeah, and I think um, I can't hide from it. I did say that I preferred uh, Moises Caicedo over uh, over Declan Rice. It's not because I thought Moises Caicedo was better, but I thought he was more dynamic. I thought he was more versatile. Maybe not dynamic is the right word. Versatile. I really thought you were about to say Namics. It's not because I thought Caicedo was better. It's because Declan Rice is a white Englishman. So they, I, I'm getting there. I'm getting okay, there. in time, um, in time. Don't worry, I'll, I'll land that plane. Uh, I, I thought that... I thought that uh, we'll, we would see Caicedo play right back for us, and then you know Party kind of play that that center midfield role. Um, but you know, I think at the end of the day, Arteta and Adu did the right did the uh, the right call, right? Because Party can't stay fit, and you much rather have your your um, backup center mid not fit than have your starting center mid not fit uh, when you have a good right back. Because say we brought brought Caicedo instead of Rice. Caicedo playing right back and then came in to play right back and then you have party gets hurt and you're playing Caicedo who's not as good at center mid playing center mid uh you know and it's a mess but I, I will also say that I was blinded by Ben uh Declan Declan Rice's white skin um it was definitely a, a reason for my bias uh I Sadly, I didn't know that he was part uh, part Nigerian. Um, I, I didn't know that he likes to dance to Nigerian music. I kind of miss all that stuff. I mean, I, I didn't know it, but I tried to ignore it. Uh, Declan Rice, I think, was by 90% of people, he was even underrated. Even those who rated him so highly underrated him because he was playing in an abysmal West Ham system. We saw West Ham get absolutely battered today by by Liverpool. Um it, it was a playing moist ball is like you know it's like your dog being castrated it's not it's not the same it's not the same anymore right it's 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 forever tainted because you it's castrated that is moist ball Uh, moist ball isn't quite football but it isn't quite terrible it's just it's just there it's just there. it's like Burnley ball with lobotomy oh sorry Deitch ball was a lobotomy that's how that's how I'd compare uh, moist ball so he was limited people saying that he can only play the left side of a of a of a of a double pivot um, it's not that he could only play is that that's the only thing he was asked to do when you, the thing is, as we mentioned, we've been harping on since the first game we saw of him, me and FFG were on it. You have to give him, give Declan Rice more responsibility to unlock what he will be because that's what he is. He, he's a player that steps up to the occasion, steps up to responsibility. He is, um, the person you give your keys to when you when the parent leaves the house, not Granite Shaka. It's Declan Rice. Declan Rice, the person you give the keys to. He can play every position. You don't need to baby him. You don't have to play Jorginho next to him. You don't have to play Thomas Party next to him. He doesn't need to be babied. You let him own that midfield and play those two attacking uh, center mids in front of him because he is smart. He's not going to do something stupid. He's going to make the right decision defensively. He's always going to prioritize control and defense over getting forward and trying to score a goal. And it's something that young players kind of have trouble understanding. That's why you see a lot of uh, uh, veteran, uh, a lot of holding midfielders kind of get better in their late 20s, early 30s, because they kind of understand that I'm not going to fly up forward every single time and try to score and get an assist. Declan Rest already has that in his brain. He already knows what he has to do. Helps when you have Saliba behind you, I'm not going to lie. But it, it, he, he's a sensational player. Um, so I, I'm with you. Uh, uh, Flanders Center, definitely the, the links to Caicedo and other specific center midfielders in the, in the, in the summer. And slandered to anybody who actually criticized the, the Rice deal when it was finished because I didn't. When, when the Rice deal was complete, I was happy about it. Uh, it. This conversation between Caicedo and Rice was more before the Rice deal was done and we were talking about if it's one or the other and I was trying to justify Caicedo because of uh, you know, my own sick, twisted mind. But I'm, I'm extremely happy that we have Declan Rice and he, he, once again, similar to Jude Bellingham, I think, he's only scratched the surface of what he will become. He's already the best holding midfielder in the world, and he's only going to get better, and that is scary to think about. Yeah, just a, a couple things to clarify before we move on. I would also trust Granit Xhaka with the keys to the house. I, I would. 
Uh, it's been proven. It's a good move. It does work. It's, it's tried and true. Uh, I would, of course, as well, trust Declan Rice for the keys to the house. But, yeah, you know, Granite Shaco less likely to be eating beans on toast when I arrive home. Um, and I think that's got to be a credit in his favor. Uh, and that I will agree with Nomics here and let him off the hook a little bit. He did get on board the Declan Rice train once the deal was moved. Um, and he was comparing at least to a, a different player like Caicedo, um, not doing any, the, there were some real oddities. There was some like Zuba Mendy apology. Uh, yeah, there, there are players that are nice to have Caicedo, Zuba Mendy. Um, who am I forgetting? Who do we play in preseason that seemed fairly capable? Um, this is terrible. Was content. it, was it the Fafana guy? It was, no? oh, you're right. I should have just guessed it was Fafana. There are so many Fafanas. Whenever in doubt, just throw right. Fafanas out yeah, there. I'm throw sure Fafana land. out there. Um, and exactly, Fafana, these are all useful cogs. These are players who could really fit into the Arsenal system and do a job. Declan Rice is Declan Rice, and that's simple as. Beginning and end, um, similar to you know, Douglas Louise is, of course, Douglas Louise. Um, probably fits more into the useful cog category than the transcendent baller category. Fantastic. That is the typical rundown. We do owe you some X-Blame, and this is going back to the Aston Villa game. We're going to do this. We're going to wrap things up with the extremely rare Liverpool preview because we are actually ahead of the game. Nomics, John McGinn scored a beauty on Aston Villa's single attack in that game. If you remember way back when, you rewind time. Zinchenko dives in on the press. He also he dives in at like the middle of the field, not really in a spot where he shouldn't dive in, where you're too concerned. Uh, Villa bypass down our left side, their right side. Leon Bailey, CONCACAF superstar. You know, we love CONCACAF here. I do at least. Whipped into John McGinn, um, who is a Champions League midfielder, apparently, is John McGinn. Turns Ben White on a dime, no problem whatsoever. Slots it in top corner. Raya's hands flash across the goal uh, in a reaction. Some are calling late and some are calling good. Nomics, let's crunch the numbers. Who do you got? What's the X blame here for this John McGinn goal? All right, um, it's it's a lot. There's a lot of a lot of variables here. Uh, point three is going to Bukayo Saka, and that is for him missing that absolute sitter a uh, couple minutes before. Because if he scores that, it's that goal doesn't happen. The goal doesn't happen at all. I'm sorry, that just doesn't happen. He and he has to score that. It was a perfect cross of Martinelli run his right foot, and he just either wasn't ready for it or just lost concentration or what. He had time to take a touch and finish too. So point, what did I say? Point three, point four. What did I say? Point three, point three, point three. Yeah, that makes sense. Point three, Martinelli. Um, you also said point, Saka, not Martinelli. So. Sorry, Saka. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> three Saka. I'm all over the place. Um, we're gonna go point uh, three to. Oh, sorry. Point two to Zinchenko for you know causing the mess he always causes, and then trying to put out a fire that he caused. Didn't didn't put it out this time. I'm going to put 0.1 to Declan Rice. Uh, he was in John McGinn's vicinity. He could have been a little bit closer. Uh, turned and it was finished. You know, he maybe should have marked him a little bit better. Not going to put a lot of blame on him. And the rest is going to be on David Raya. And I'll, I'll tell you why. David Raya has been avoiding blame for this goal um, like I haven't seen in a while. You look at the you look at behind the net and you see that it went right at him. It was slightly above his right shoulder. He should have stayed strong and tall and he could have easily just stopped it. Could have tipped it over. Find find the foot find the photo behind the net goal on it. You're gonna see he, if he stands tall, if he stands big. I'm not talking big and ter- like objective. I'm talking like at, for his size. If he stands big and kind of he's saving that shot, it is not gonna go in. It's he's gonna just tip tip it over or whatever. But because he's been playing so small lately, he's making making himself so small. He's not as assured in net. It goes back to the looting game when he just looks so small in net because he's kind of ner- it's, it's I don't know if it's a nervous or form or what. Um, it's it, it's a something's a, something's wrong with him in terms of his positioning. Uh, when you're when he's that small as a goalkeeper and making himself even smaller in the net, it's an issue. And I think he could I could think he could have and should have saved that shot uh, from McGinn. It wasn't people. It wasn't like it was top bins or anything. It was a good shot with some pace on it. But I think for a goalkeeper of the level we need, he should be saving that. How has Ben White avoided any X blame in your model? What's your model doing here, Nomics? Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, confusing Ben White and 
and uh, uh, Declan Rice. So Rice uh, tries to close down Bailey, leaving Ben White marking comfortably. Okay, then then ben, switch Ben White and Declan Rice. Sorry, switch okay. Ben White so and Declan point Rice. White yeah. on, point one on Ben White. I kind of like yeah. the point one on Rice because maybe he should have stopped the pass. Uh, I'm going to intervene here with my model. I think I'm going to leave that point one on Rice. Um, we've got point six assigned between Zinchenko, Saka, and Rice. I'm going to give uh, maybe point two to White and point two to Raya. I, I think I'm going to take half of Raya's X blame there and throw it out the door. Um, I think Raya, you're right. He maybe could have made himself bigger. I think he does a good job making this look savable by reacting quickly. It, you're right, it's not top bins, but what it is is a, a bit of a rocket with elevation. Um, and I think he makes it look more savable than it actually is by, by reacting well. But you're right. I think if he is standing tall, if he's standing big, this is the kind of one that just proper positioning, proper technique, probably parries without the goalkeeper even knowing it's coming. And we'll leave point two blame on him there. But I can't give it away to Ben White, who just allows McGinn to turn and fire without closing him down, without blocking the shot, without getting in position to interfere. Uh, because I think this was a blockable shot by Ben White. And, uh, I think that explain goes his way, too. Yeah, I consider giving uh, some explain to uh, to uh, Unai, Unai Emery for leaving us and and for some reason finding out how to coach an attack. But then I saw how badly how badly they attacked the rest of the game, and I thought, nope, nope, it's not because of him. It's because of all the other variables that we mentioned. But I I, I just think if Saka scores that man, this is a totally different game. We don't go down. They don't. I don't think they get a sniff at net. I think we, it ends comfortably, like two, three nil, four nil, something like that. Because that's how big of a miss that was. It kind of just shocked everybody how we missed how we missed it. Uh, I know, like maybe I'm overblowing how easy of a chance it was, but I do think it a, a player of his caliber, how good he's been for the last few years for us. That's that's a that should be an easy chance for him. Uh, and I think it goes under the. It's been going a little bit under the radar uh, compared to the other misses we had that game. I double tap my mute button a little there. In terms of my also rans, we're also maybe blaming. Uh, the CONCACAF Federation for being such a federation of killers for sharpening Leon Bailey into such a monstrous attacker. Um, you know, iron sharpens, sharpens iron when you're up against wingers like like Christian Pulisic. Uh, week in, week out in CONCACAF competition, you know, you, you got to step up, and Leon Bailey did exactly that. So uh, we'll see. For now, we will leave this on Zinchenko, on Raya, on White, on Saka, and a tiny little bit on Declan Rice, and I think we'll call it done and dusted. We're before the hour mark, and that's just where we want to be because we are going to preview the Liverpool game. Nomics, again, we're in a unique spot where we actually have a few days for people to listen to this before the match. And we're also in a unique spot where we just saw Liverpool crush a West Ham United B team at Anfield in the Carabao Cup. Um, could have been us. Could have been Arsenal if Arsenal had beaten West Ham United in an earlier game that we did not cover on this podcast because we do not acknowledge the sovereignty of the Carabao Cup. Are you scared at all, Nomics? He got Klopp firing up uh, Anfield beforehand, saying if you're not ready to cheer on Saturday, sell your ticket to someone else. Uh, bold words, bold words from Jurgen Klopp. I think it's funny how if we did beat West Ham, we'd be playing uh, Liverpool three times in the next four matches or something absurd like that. It'd be absolute chaos. But uh, I'm not concerned. I don't know why I'm not concerned. I... I've watched Liverpool a lot this season, more than I probably would like to admit. I'm not impressed. I, I think they fluked a lot of games. The game for me that kind of made me solidify my opinion on them was the uh, Sheffield United away game. Uh, a game where everyone is playing Sheffield and battering the fucking living daylights out of them. Like, it's 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 easy for everybody. And this was, this was pre-Chris uh, um, Wilder coming back. Uh, you know, it's just... They didn't impress me. That midfield is so open. They won 2-0, but they scored in, in stoppage time, uh, the second goal. But overall, they just didn't impress me. Uh, their attack is overhyped. I, I don't know. Luis Diaz isn't playing like he usually... Maybe he just maybe he's just playing normal, and he just actually isn't as good a player as we think he is. Salah is Salah, but he's not Salah. He, he's definitely... He's, he's visibly has aged. He has... He, doesn't look as sharp as he usually does. Hairline is falling apart. I'm a salad, by yes. the way. Yep. Uh, I, I Bozo Sly, um, SpongeBob Sly, whatever you want to call him, 
doesn't really like obviously he has a he has a good shot on him like he, he has a cracker in him once uh once in a while don't get me wrong but in terms of playmaking i just don't see it uh McAllister's out for what as far as we know but if he plays i mean i, I feel a little more hesitant to kind of be the opinion i have right now because i think he's a good player uh endo's not very good uh their back line is 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 okay I, you know, Van Dyke's good. Robertson is still out, so I'm not worried about that. Trent can't play. De- can't play defense. Sorry, let me rephrase that. He definitely can't play. Trent is a fantastic player. Uh, and then I forget are they playing Konate next to Van Dyke, and Konate is just a really just a tall freak. I just think the way we play and the way they they play, like we complement each other. We we. We don't cop each other. We are so much better than them. Like a team that controls the ball, who doesn't rely on cross and Shala, who runs at you, who plays short, quick passes. That's what hurts Liverpool. Um, and I think that you know, I I, I honestly t- see us winning two nil, three nil on Saturday. I, I'm I'm that confident. Um, you know, I said the Sheffield United game was the other game that I felt I, I kind of solidified my feelings. But even Crystal Palace away from home, they didn't look good. They shouldn't have got a point out of that. That was they were saved by the referee. Um, there's not one game this season where I've watched them and said, "Oh shit, I'm worried about them." Like today against West Ham C team, B team, C team, however you want to compare. It. I, I don't give a fuck about that. I really don't. I, I care what I've seen in the league. That midfield is atrocious. They leave the gaps so large. Um, I, and I don't know how they're going to set up in a low block because I think the only way they'd be able to, to get a, a goal on us, if they set up on a low block and they counter attack, I just don't think that a low block with that midfield, is going to be very effective. And I think we might be able to find out like similar to how we were Spurs away last season when Spurs had no midfield, when you had party take that go from distance, Odegaard that go from distance. I see the same thing happening this, this weekend two nil, a couple of goals from distance because their midfield is that poor. Um, Klopp is still a world-class coach. I still think he's the second best manager in the league. Um, maybe like closer to first than he is to third. Uh, Alice is the best goalkeeper in the league. Hands down. Van Dyke is top three defender in the league. Hands down in the world. Hands down. Um, you know it, all those variables. I, I just think we're we're so good. We 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 our pros are so our strengths are what their weaknesses are, and I I think that's a recipe for disaster for them. Even if it is at Anfield where we never win. It, you know, narrative is really. I agree. The only thing up against us in this one, it's a place where we never win with a fired up crowd, with a phenomenal coach who has our coach's number. Uh, as a dating back to when our coach was a player, even right, Mikel Arteta could not win his Anfield as a player, as the captain of the club either. Um, and he's an Everton lad, so you'd expect it really matters to him as well. Uh, not that things ended all that nicely between Mikel Arteta and the folks at Everton, but still. You'd think there would be a soft point there. Uh, but it's manifested itself into a bit of a mental block instead. I think you hit all the high notes there. You hit all the main points. That Liverpool midfield looks atrocious. Their fullbacks cannot defend. And where do we like to dominate? Through the midfield and through our wingers. It sure seems like in terms of a styles make fights, we have the style that should be advantageous in this one. Minus the narrative, minus the choker gene, minus whatever you want to call it. My one point of concern, and you know, I am much less of a David Raya hater than most out there. I I came on this podcast defending David Raya and have now maybe shifted into a position that, yes, David Raya is better than Aaron Ramsdale, but they are both shit, which is uh, perhaps a point of view that I hold. Raya has been a good shot stopper from shots outside the box this season. He has been a good shot stopper from shots outside the box, actually, historically, in his career in general. His lack of size and his challenges he has had so far in an Arsenal shirt against Sabozlai, Trent Alexander-Arnold, maybe Salah lets one loose, and you're going to laugh at this one, and Harvey Elliott, a guy who can't do that much but can rip a whip shot in from outside the box. That's the one thing that scares me. Is against styles make fights, and we have the style to take them down in most of their areas of weakness but I worry about the ball striking ability they've got from some dangerous areas outside of our penalty box. I don't worry about that as much because we are very good at blocking shots. Uh, I think more than we have been in years past. Saliba and, and Gabriel take up a shit ton of space. Declan Rice always in the right position. Kai Havertz is a, is a big, is a big guy. Uh, Odegaard's great at pressing. It's very, very interesting 
how we play, how the right back role plays. Uh, I think if we play, I, I don't know. I feel like we might do something different with the right back role. I don't know. Apparently, Tommy Asher still hurt. Party's still out. I think we might see a little more conservative Ben White in the situation. I think he may be more prone to the counterattack, especially with Zinchenko playing left back. Um, knowing Zinchenko is going to have issues with Salah, perhaps we don't play Z- uh, Zinchenko at left back. Perhaps we we switch it up somehow. I don't know. If we, maybe we play Kivier left back. Maybe Deco we play Kivier. Maybe Gabriel plays left back and Kivier plays left center mid. You know, I I think there's opportunity there. Uh, we've seen Arteta do that before. Before we knew that Tomiyasu can play left back, he just threw in him at left back against against Salah um, at at the Emirates. But I, I'm not asking. I guess FFG, I have to ask, why are you concerned about them shooting from distance? I haven't seen them score too many golazos from distance against competent teams. I, I, Sobasai, yes, he can, but he scored one goal this season, if I'm not mistaken, in the Premier League. Uh, McAllister's not playing. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think it's, I, I, I have a, have a strong tinfoil hack conspiracy that people think they know how the, the Liverpool attack plays and how they play moving going forward, but they actually don't watch them play and actually don't see that they're not as dangerous as they have been in years past. Right. And so both sides does have two goals in the Premier League. I am correct. Uh, he does not have one. I was right. Um, neither are pens. I just double checked that at the end there as well. You're right in that they maybe haven't peppered shots from outside the box against competent teams, but I worry between our mental block and our goalkeeping issues, which perhaps are also a mental block, that we might not look like a competent team at times at Anfield. And as always, I fear maximum punishment for the mistakes that we do make, and I fear the possibility of some mistakes. Um, I think this has to be a Zinchenko game. I think Liverpool is actually often the right kind of matchup for Zinchenko if you ignore the Salah cooking everybody on the right factor of things. Um, Salah, I think, is less of a counterattacking threat than he used to be. You know, He still scores goals with the best of them. He's an absolute killer, but he has slowed down a step. Uh, he's not the kind of guy who's going to skin you with dribble moves. So I think Zinchenko can actually kind of stand in his way as effectively as most left backs, which is to say not that effectively, but no one really stops most a lot. And I think Zinchenko can be very valuable for the times that Liverpool does turn up that signature Klopp gig impress, which is also something they do a bit less of these days. Um, you're right. Most of the terrors of that Liverpool attack are not walking through that door. Uh, Firmino, I, I hope we'll have to check in in Saudi Arabia, like a, like a band fan uh, has to check in and just confirm that he will not be coming off the bench in the 70th minute to score a worldie against us. Uh, Joda is injured, which again, I won't believe until I see the, the match day squad not featuring Diogo Joda to come in and inevitably score two against us. Uh, Diaz, you're right, is not quite in the form of his life. I think he is a bit of a killer, though, and he'll, I think he'll perform. Uh, and then the Darwin Nunez experiment, which you know both of us back wholeheartedly, uh, might be failing. Um, they're, they're having difficult conversations about, uh, about Darwizzi over in Liverpool land. So all that to say, you are right. I think we match up well against this team. I think their attack is not as fearsome as it once was. I think they can't play through our midfield. And I think the Van Dyke single pass to Mo Salah counterattack doesn't work nearly as well when Salah's 31 as it did back when he was 27. I'm still scared, and I'm scared, yeah, for one reason, and that is maximum punishment for mistakes that we will likely make because all teams make mistakes, and I worry that their killers are a bit more set up to punish them, especially at home, than our guys are to punish theirs. Yeah, uh, I I also think that um, I'm more concerned about the referees that were selected for this matchup. You know, we we got a couple names that we do not like seeing. I think Chris Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh, right? Yeah. And then easily VAR one of is... top two worst Kavanaughs around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah at, le- at least, at least. I wonder if he likes beer. Uh, there's, there has to be one. I forget what the VAR official's name was, but it's also someone I read saying that I know I don't like him either. Refs hate uh, Liverpool as well, though. You know, they do, but I think. Our, Klopp has gone through the ringer of being hated by the media. Now he's the point he's loved by the media. Kind of the opposite, where, kind of where Arteta is trying to get to eventually. But overall, I think the overall thing for me, my confidence for this weekend is that we have William Saliba. And if William Saliba is fit, I am very confident that we will go in there and we'll get three points. Um, we haven't played in at Anfield with William Saliba yet. 
uh, just like I don't believe we played at the Etihad with William Saliba yet. Uh, these are important factors. Uh, these are things that Saliba is is the best player on our team. And I know that people want to say Declan. I think Saliba is the best player on our team. We do not we do not touch even a little bit of the heights we are at right now without William Saliba. Uh, he is a player. I, I think if there's ever a shout for, I think no Van Dyke won Player of the Year one year. But if there's another shout for another defender to win Player of the Year if we win the league, Van Dyke. I, I mean Saliba is the shout. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a decent place to wrap it up. I guess I give my prediction. I said, I said, I'm feeling a two nil or three nil. I'm going to go two nil, uh, to not be as, as optimistic. I guess, do you have a score prediction? Uh, I'm going to say three, two to the Gunners. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, a couple of Kai Havertz now, goals, Kai Havertz assists to Bukayo Saka. Now is it, is it a, is, I want to know what the scoring breakdown is going to be like. Is it going to be like a one nil, then one, one, then two, one, then two, two, then three, two, or is it going to be like yeah. a. Okay. Uh, yeah. It also, it could be. It could be two nothing. They score right before halftime off of nothing. They score again in the second half. It could be oh, a two zero two. You'll think. You'll yeah. think they'll pull it back. And yeah, absolutely. With an XG of you know Arsenal four, Liverpool point six <laughs> or something like that. Absolutely. That's the kind of game I'm predicting. Oh, I'm already ready for this Allison masterclass. We're about uh, to see. Best keeper in the yeah. world. Yeah, no two ways around it. Uh, Magic and Mike, guess- you are a gunner next season. I guess uh, we'll go to something slightly less less. Um, Less controversial here, uh, you know. More more issues in the Middle East yeah. going on. Uh, I, I guess we always hear our guests' take and my take on where they stand on the conflict. I guess I want to know where do you stand on the conflict in the Middle East? Yeah. So I think one thing that's really important to keep in mind is that we must wholeheartedly condemn without. 